listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. This morning I presided and preached in the parish of St. Michael and All Angels, which is a very different expression within Anglicanism from this Anglo-Catholic high ceremonial incense and grand vestments and so on. But they do fall. It's the same, essentially the same sharing of bread and wine and the same texts. And so the same sermon, and I discovered at about 10 to 7, that I think that sermon is sitting in the pulpit at St. Michael and All Angels. (laughs) But I do know the story. It's a story that we tell every year when we move into the season of Lent. In all three of the years in the lectionary, the story of Jesus going into the desert comes right on the heels of his baptism by John. And at the baptism, he, he hears these words, This is my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And then immediately, he's off into this desert sojourn. Mark actually says, immediately the Spirit drove him. Matthew's is a little gentler. The Spirit, Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, the desert in that ancient world, in the biblical vision of things, is a place, it's a kind of a liminal place. It's a place in which all of the norms kind of go out of whack, where suddenly, when you're in the desert, especially for a long time, suddenly you're faced with, with all kinds of questions of the nature of life and survival and of death. And of what matters. You, you, you went into the desert in a sense to be changed. It was dangerous. Deserts are hot at the day and they're cold at night. The food is very sparse. And of course, if you're fasting, even the water is hard to find. It's a place you go to sort out who you are and whose you are. It's where Israel spends 40 years in the Sinai Desert being shaped as a people. And here in this story, right on the heels of Jesus' experience of being claimed as God's Son, the Beloved, it's into that place he goes. The discipline of fasting. I I used to think that the 40-day fast was, that must be just kind of an exaggeration or something that only Jesus could do. But it's actually not impossible. In fact, your body can deal with a, a fast from food for about 40 days, and then it starts to get in trouble. But prior to that, it can do it. What you need desperately, of course, is water. And in that tradition, fasting is very much associated with prayer. And prayer and fasting together are associated with discernment and openness and guidance and direction. And so that's the work he's gone to do. And at the end of it all, he has to face down Well, it's three temptations, but it's really one question. The one question is, whose are you? Whose are you? Because the tempter comes. Now, set aside your Hollywood-influenced pictures of the red-skinned character with horns and a tail. Uh, the The Scripture never once says anything about the look 
of this figure of the Satan or the tempter or the devil or the adversary. But what you are aware of is the voice. And so in this story, we, we listen with Jesus to that voice. And it's a voice that, that ha- brings words so very different from the ones he heard at the baptism. They're, they're full of vinegar. If, if you are the Son of God, that's what he'd been told at his baptism. That's the claim that had been placed on him. If you are the Son of God, take these stones and make them into bread. You're famished. You've proved your point in Jesus 40 days. Now it's time just to simply act. You can do it if you are the Son of God. No. No, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus has been in solitude, yes, but he's never been alone. He's been fasting, but he's always been nourishing himself. And so his response is actually quoted directly from the book of Deuteronomy. No. I'm not going to choose that kind of conjuring in place of the true authority that I've been wrestling through all these 40 days. No. And then the voice again. And this time, there's a, it's matched with an experience of being taken to the pinnacle of the temple. Now, this one is more fantastical, right? To the very pinnacle of the temple, and the tempter says, If, if you are what you think you are, throw yourself down. And the angels, God's angels, will catch you before you hit the ground because, and this time that voice quotes Scripture, he will not let your foot be dashed against a rock. He will send his angels. The interesting little subtext, I think, in the temptation is also, and imagine the impact it would have. All those people down below in the streets around the temple would see you flying off of here through the air, plunging to your death, only to be rescued by angels. Imagine the following. No. No. I will not do that. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now they're actually having a little battle with the Hebrew Scriptures, each citing to the other. No. The third temptation, and this time he's taken to a mountain place and he's shown the lay of the entire land and said all of the kingdoms as far as you can see, all of the kingdoms of the world with all of their riches and all of their power, all of their glory and all of their people can be yours. You simply need to kneel down before me. No. He says... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. I'm not going to kneel. There's an audacity to that temptation after Jesus has balked at the first two. For the third one to be kneel seems like just bizarrely audacious. But again, Jesus knows the scriptures. He knows the story of Israel. And he knows that the path he's going to walk is not going to be an easy one because the God of the Scriptures of Israel and then the God of the New Testament, the same God, of course, has this habit of using servanthood and suffering and sacrifice and sometimes even utter defeat and desolation to get God's work done. Jesus knows it. 
And this tempting voice is saying, I can give you all this, cut your losses. There's no pain, there's no suffering. You can just have it. Choose power over that authority you think you've been given, that inner authority, that identity as God's son. Choose power. It's so much easier. No. There is a reasonableness, even if it's a sort of an odd reason to each of those temptations, because each of them is take an easier path. There's much simpler, straightforward, less pain-filled, less suffering and striving kinds of ways to take than the one that God has got for you if you really are what you think you are. No. There's a kind of a haunting and whispering quality to that voice, which I think can be kind of matched by the the kind of haunting and whispering quality of the voices that will draw us off of the path that we've been called on. This is all about Jesus' true identity, about him resisting the temptations to be that other than that which he is, right? His true self, his true identity. And the kind of things that tend to take us down or get us in trouble are actually the very things that take us away from being who and what we were created to be. It's that wonderful line from uh, Abba John of the Desert that I quoted two weeks ago, where Abba John said, we have traded the light burden of self-criticism, of that self-awareness, self-truthfulness, that willingness to kind of look at who and what we are critically and truthfully, we've traded that light burden for the heavy burden of self-justification, right? Of, of, of the kind of thinking that says, ah, you know, it's not so bad. I can get away with this. Who would know anyways? I deserve it. You know, better to, actually, it'd be much easier to do it that way. It would have been much easier for Jesus to turn stones into bread, to create a great show off the temple and build a movement right away to even bend his knee before that adversary. Would have been much easier, but it would have also been hell, so to speak. God has for us a vocation which is both costly and glorious. Just as God had for God's Son a vocation that was both costly and glorious. The challenge as we move into this season of Lent is to look hard at who we are, what we believe we were created to be, sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, created in the image of God, and to, to look at the, the, the life, the vocation that we have, each of us in our own way, been called out on, and to look at it for both its glory but also its cost, and to say, even so, I will try to walk that way. That's a way, though, that takes that light burden of self-awareness, self-criticalness, and truthfulness. Welcome to Lent. It is that season. It's good. It's glorious, ultimately. 
But it is a costly road. Walk it well. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.